0: Um, I trust you uh, rested well. And so we're here for this uh, second session, um, Power to be Witnesses. That's the title uh, of the weekend teaching, which is last night and these two sessions this morning. And just a reminder of reminders of the um, uh, program. Last last night we started off thinking about a call to be a witnessing people and uh, we were exploring in a little bit of depth, what that means to be a witness, we're called to be his witnesses, witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then uh, today, uh, this morning, this first session now called to be an apostolic people. And then uh, session, the session after the break, we will have a break, then called to be um, a people of power. Uh, those are the three things that we're, uh, we're thinking about. Uh, so let's, let me just pray as, uh, as I begin. So, Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you, Father, that the entrance of your word gives light. And uh, we pray, Lord, as we spend this time together now, that as we uh, reflect on your word, um, Lord, in the light of our own experience, in the light of the culture in which we find ourselves, in the light of the challenges uh, that we face in our own lives, but in um, the life, the life of uh, the, the world corporately, our nation corporately, and the world corporately. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you might give us wisdom. We pray that you might uh, speak to us in a way that we might be changed, uh, in a way um, that we might be transformed. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Uh, so. Uh, thinking uh, then in this session now, called to be an apostolic, an apostolic people, what it means to be an apostolic people. Now, there's some uh, controversy about this, this word apostle, uh, as uh, in Ephesians 4.11, famously, the apostle Paul says, he, that's the risen Christ, he gave some uh, to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be pastors, teachers, and evangelists. And Predominantly, really, the church has been... Um, well, it's sometimes said that the church is, church is a non-profit organisation. And I think that's, that's true to its loss. The Church of England is certainly a non-profit organisation. Profits need not apply. And, um, and, and the church has been dominated, really, for two millennia by pastor-teachers. So um, I used to t- teach clergy, of course, at Wycliffe Hall, Oxford. And what the Church of England is looking for are... Pastor teachers, so most of our clergy are pastor teachers. The bishops in the Church of England are pastor teachers, and so those other three really are marginalised, ignored, relegated. Now, uh, I've never met anyone who says that the evangelist doesn't exist. So, so, so basically, the, we, we just don't know what to do with the evangelists. So, pastor teachers, they're fine; they run the show. Evangelists, we we all accept, just like my vice principal said. You know, we all know the church needs evangelists. You just wouldn't want to have one one round for dinner. We just don't know what to do with evangelists. And sometimes, it's my sadness that evangelists get ordained, and it's the very thing that they shouldn't do, because uh, there's no other, there's no recognition uh, for them. Very often, there's no training, there's no stipending for them, so they end up getting ordained, and sometimes their evangelistic gifting is diminished. It's or sometimes almost taken out completely, because they end up looking after a church. Uh, which obviously consumes the whole time with the found rather than actually being concerned with the lost, uh, which is which is their calling. But these other two, um, uh, for centuries, we believe they don't even exist. So, so the theology called cessationism, uh, which is that the gifts of, uh, of the spirit have ceased. There's a, uh, there are some Christians who, who are cessationists. Uh, they believe the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased. Uh, often the argument goes when the Bible... Was completed, and uh, I believe that's completely erroneous. I ain't even call it a heresy, cessationism, a heresy. Um, and uh, I was I was speaking uh, in um, the Sydney diocese just the other just the other week, and there's a number of people in that diocese who who would be cessationists. Not everybody, but there are a number of people who would be cessationists. And in one of my talks there, uh, I said, you know, God didn't publish a book and then retire, and uh, really that's a in summary, that's what cessationism is. It's the belief that God published a book and then went into retirement. Um, But actually, you know, God has given us the Holy Scriptures. um, But of course, he is alive and well and working in and through his church and beyond his church by the power of his Holy Spirit. But um, those two gift ministries, some people think those have ceased to exist. So the apostle now doesn't exist anymore. Um, People People argue that uh, Judas was replaced by Matthias, which, of course, is true. And then when the apostolic band died out, the, the, the office of the apostle has died out and the prophet, too. And people argue that prophet is there in the Old Testament. The prophet's not there in the New Testament. The problem with the argument is that the New Testament doesn't seem to bear that out. So apostle is used as a term beyond the 12. There are many apostles it talks about in the Acts of, in the, Acts of the Apostles, which was the first church era. Uh, and also it talks about the gift of prophecy. And in Ephesians four, eleven, it talks about the office of the, the prophet. Now, obviously, we want to make a few distinctions, wouldn't we? That the, the office of the prophet in the New Testament, if it exists, as I believe it does, isn't the same as the Old Testament. The Old Testament prophet um, had to speak um, authoritatively and infallibly. Um, and a bit like if, if you lied under oath, you'd be put to death under the Old Covenant. If you prophesied falsely, you were put to death. In the New Testament, thankfully, that doesn't apply. Otherwise... Um, the charismatic church might be somewhat diminished, um, shall we say. We're called to weigh and pray. Um, so when, when somebody offers a prophetic word, they're to offer it in humility and we're to weigh it um, and we're to, to pray it. Um, so I, be- I believe for what it's worth that the fivefold order of ministry is for today. Uh, so all for all, we need all five, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers and evangelists. We need all five for the health and the vitality of the church. But anyway, um, even if uh, your view is that uh, the office, the gift of the apostle has ceased to exist, I think we can all agree that we are, as the church, called to be an apostolic people. We're called to be be a people who are sent because that's what the word apostle means. It's from the Greek apostolos, which means one who is sent. And so the church, all of us, we are sent into the world to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are sent into Bolney Village. Into West Sussex. Into the south of England. Into uh, England. The United Kingdom. Europe. The world. These concentric circles. That we're thinking about a little bit later. We're called to, to be witnesses to the resurrection. So we're called to be a sent uh, people. So we gather in his name. Only that we can be sent. And um, I used the. Uh, tra- uh, talked about the. Greek word for church yesterday, which is ecclesia, uh, which um, literally means God's gathering. That's what the word means. It's the people. It's the people, not the building. It's Sunday School 101. Um, but we, we gather so that we can be um, uh, so that we can be dispersed. I remember speaking a few years ago in a church in Bristol um, called Pippin Jays. I don't know that name means anything to you. Um, Anne brother was the, vicar, was the vicar there for many years, Malcolm Widdicombe. He's, he's died now. But... Uh, uh, Malcolm was the vicar for many, many years. And Anne used to be a regular uh, down there before she converted to Catholicism. You know, Anne Widdicombe, the cabinet minister, now media lovey uh, that she is. She's quite a scare. Anyone met her? No. She's quite a scary... She's quite a scary person. Uh, I remember doing, a little, little aside, uh, a, a talk for an Alpha... Uh, it was an Alpha event. Uh, no, no, I organised it. I organised an Alpha event when I was on the staff of St. Aldate's Church in Oxford. And I invited her to come along. So she, it was like an alpha launch. So I thought, let's get, it, let's get a celebrity in. So I invited and Whittaker in to do the talk. She agreed to do it. Anyway, before we went out there to do the event, we were sat there in a side room having a cup of tea. And she's not one for small talk. There was her, and Whittacombe, me, the rector of St. old age a guy called Charlie Cleverly. And uh, there was not one, she's not one for small talk. So these kind of, sort of uh, gaps in the conversation, you'd ask her a question and she didn't seem to... Answer very, very verbosely, and this was the time that she was she was uh, making her way as a, as a media you know celebrity. She in in all the uh, and there was a thing that on TV she was in at the time uh, called Celebrity Celebrity Fit Club. Does anyone remember this? And so she was a bit overweight, and she was in this thing called Celebrity Fit Club, and she she basically went with other celebrities to this boot camp, and you know where they all went on this rigorous diet and did exercise and all this kind of thing, and. Uh, so anyway, this was in the back of my mind. I thought, oh, well, I'll, me- I'll, mention- I'll mention this. And I said, ah, Anne, I said, you know, saw-, saw you recently on Celebrity Fat Club. <laughs> I said. And, uh, so, she- so she said, Fit Club, Fit Club, <laughs> she said. And uh, anyway, so that was a little bit embarrassing. So uh, we've... I'm not on her Christmas card list. <laughs> um, uh, the point of this slight... Tangent is her brother, Malcolm, was vicar of Pip and Jays. And still, above the door of Pip and Jays, um, it basically is this the, the main door that everybody comes in. Uh, there's, a, there's a sign that's been there for 50, 60 years that Malcolm Widdow can put there, and still there. And it says, you are now entering the mission field. And uh, I, really, I remember that, and I really like, I really like that. Sorry? As you, as you go out. Yeah, yeah. As you go out, not as you come in the church. Yeah, yeah, as you go out. So you don't see it. You walk in the church and you don't see it. And then as you leave, as you leave, the ch- as you leave yeah. it says you are now entering the mission field. And, um, and David Pitches, uh, who was the founder of New Wine, one time vicar of St. Andrew's Chorley Wood. Are you going get, to uh, get it put up there? You gonna... you yeah, there is a space. Yeah, exactly. Perfect, perfect space for it there, Simon. You are now entering the mission field.
1: Yeah,
0: I'm sure it could be done.
1: okay yeah, we'll
0: make it right who's gonna who's gonna you know like in a business meeting you, you know that you, you decide there's an action, action anyone's gonna do action point <laughs> she did this one here oh well there we are so there we are you are now entering the mission here yeah we
1: need a work part. yes yes
0: um, so David David, uh, David pitches we've all heard of it. David Pitches, we've all heard of him. He was a uh, uh, vicar of St. Andrews Chorley Wood. And he used to say the meeting place uh, is the equipping place for the marketplace. And again, it's the same kind of idea, the meeting place, i.e. when we gather. And we gather as church on Sunday, but this is, a, this is an expression of church now. Okay, it's not the Sunday church gathering, but this is an expression of church now. So we, the, the meeting place, when we meet, when we gather, is the equipping place to get filled up with the Holy Spirit, to get uh, taught by God's word as it's expounded, um, to get encouraged by one another, maybe admonished if we need a bit of admonishing. Uh, You know, it's the equipping place. The meeting place is the equipping place for the marketplace. So we're called uh, to live out our faith um, out there. So we're called to be God's um, apostolic people. So that's uh, point number one, uh, that we're called to go into Uh, The world, and there it is in the Great Commission, When we've got these two narratives, Matthew 28 and then Acts chapter 1 that I mentioned last night. Uh, Jesus came to them, verse 18, this is uh, of of Matthew chapter 28, and he said, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. So I, I mentioned, didn't I, about we're, we're going to have an exposition on Sunday morning, tomorrow morning. And that's, I'm going to do an exposition on these few verses. So specifically an exposition with an evangelistic edge on um, the Great Commission. Uh, so, and it's the title of the talk tomorrow morning is The Great Omission, which I mentioned uh, last night. But, but, but we're, were God's apostolic people, you see, we're, were sent. It's sometimes referred to as the go of the gospel. Um, we're, we're, we're sent out. We're, we're not called to be a holy huddle uh, forever. We, it, it's a, it's, we, we, we gather together to go uh, to go in His name, and uh, we see that also um, in the uh, the second passage, which is from Acts chapter uh, one. And they gathered around Him. Have you noticed that word? So again, it's this verse, verse six of Acts chapter one. They gathered. The gathering. They gathered around Him. That's the that's Jesus, the risen Jesus. And they said, Lord. Um, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know dates and times the father has set by his own authority, but you, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the world. So Jesus um, basically says to them, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then you will go. To Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the world. So it's the go of the gospel. I think it's interesting there. what we've got is a juxtaposition between theopolitics and kingdom activity. So the theopolitics, and I say this as, as someone who's worked as a theologian in theological colleges, so I'm obviously not anti-theology, um, but sometimes we can just get so bogged down in theology and Doctrine and we, we get our eyes off the prize. We get our eyes off the Lord Jesus. We get our eyes off the Great Commission. But it's interesting that Jesus has risen from the dead. So Jesus Christ, they believed he was the Son of God. He got crucified. They all got despondent and they thought, gosh, what the heck has happened? as the whole thing failed? Three days later, he rose victorious from the tomb. Here he is, the risen Jesus with his disciples, about to ascend into heaven, about to give the Holy Spirit. They gather around him. They can ask him anything in their life. And they say, Lord, when is the time you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? So I'm doing Yorkshire accent. I am from Lancashire myself. So Um, so, so basically what they're obsessing about is the second coming. They'd already asked him about the second coming. Do you remember? And Jesus said, "Uh, I don't know. He said, such things are within the father's timetable. So the incarnate Jesus didn't know when he was coming again. Maybe the risen, the exalted Jesus does. Now he's at the right hand of the father. But the incarnate Jesus didn't know. They didn't take no for an answer. When is, then when's the time that you're gonna restore the kingdom to Israel, basically? Um, so they're ob- obsessed with, with eschatology. Um, eschatology, I, I don't know whether you know what that word means. If, if, you, if you don't, it's, it's not the end of the world. Um, <laughs> but maybe it is. Because eschaton, it's from the Greek. Eschaton means the end. It's the theology of the end. So they're obsessing about the end, uh, whereas Jesus is, is wanting to think to talk to them about the present. You know, I'm, go- I'm about to give you a present, which is my presence. Namely, the Holy Spirit is going to come and be with you and live among you and empower you to fulfil this great commission that I'm giving you. Uh, but no, no, they're obsessed uh, with kind of theopolitics. They're obsessed with some abstraction of... Uh, theology. Um, but Jesus is calling them to go into the whole world. Well, how do we go into the whole world um, in, in the modern world? How do we go into the whole world in 2022? Well, I believe the, the way that we primarily do this is not uh, through church-based ministry, uh, but it's through every Christian realising that uh, they're called to be a missioner. Uh, uh, they're called to go, uh, to be apostolic, so to speak, not necessarily an apostle, of course, but they're to be uh, apostolic wherever God places them. For years, the church has sometimes thought, if only we had more vicars, if only we had more ministers, let's uh, cream off the best people, uh, get them ordained, put them in the church. This is the answer. It really isn't the answer. The answer isn't to have a fatter church. The answer is to have an empowered laity. And I don't even believe in the laity, You know, this clergy-laity divide. Um, business, you know, laos, laity is from the Greek word laos, which means people. When I got ordained, I didn't cease to be part of the laos of God. So, what, so it doesn't even exist, the, the, the laity. It's an example of dualism. And dualism owes more to Plato than the Bible, Platonic dualism. And uh, so I sometimes say that the only thing that's secular is sin. You know, Christians, they love their dualism, sacred and secular. But no, no, the only thing that's secular is is sin. We're called to go into the whole world. And what that means for most of us these days in the modern Western world, uh, most, most of us do have some kind of occupation. We do work. It's to be ambassadors for Christ in our place of work. And if we don't work, you know, maybe we're a stay at home mum. Well, that is work. Of course, I, I you know, I got, what, it was years ago, I remember as a young man. And uh, I said, I was, I was sixth form, but that was it. And I said to a lady in my church, I said, do you work or are you, or are you just a housewife? I know, I obviously, <laughs> no, know exactly. Well, you could, can you see why I remember that now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can see why I remember that, can't you? I was 18, I'm now 53. I remember because of the response that I got <laughs> from this dear sister in Christ. <laughs> well, oh, yes. Anyway, so basically... We're all called to work. And uh, there's no such thing as just a housewife, of course. If, if you are a wife and mother, uh, I don't know what that's like being married to one now. And, uh, you know, that is your that's your vocation. And, and, uh, and there are ways of which, whether it's, you know, at, uh, mother and toddler club and at the school gate, there's all kinds of ways that you that you interface with people who are not believers in Jesus Christ. So we're all called uh, to go into the world. A few years ago, there was a meeting. It was in the nineteen seventies between between two American um, mission, miss, miss, missiological giants, and one of them was Bill Bright, who was the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, uh, now with the Lord, and the other one was Lauren Cunningham. You may have heard of. He was the founder of uh, YWAM, um, uh, Young Women After Men, or oh, has got, yeah. yeah. got lots of different, got lots of different things. you no, I mean Youth with a Mission. It's called Youth. Youth with a mission. And they basically met, and both of them sensed they had a word from the Lord for the other. The, both these men ran, ran these amazing mission agencies, global mission agencies. And basically, the word from the Lord that they had pretty much matched, not exactly, but it pretty much matched. I think one of them had six, the other had seven. But basically, the word was that they had, this is in the late 70s, that if the Western world, as it was developing into post-modernity as it was, now we're in post post-modernity or millennialism, so sociologists tell us. But this was in the 1970s, 1970, 1978, I think, something like that. If the emerging world in the Western world, if it was going to be one for Christ, instead of actually get, telling people to get ordained or go into church leadership, what we need to do is recognise that there are seven or six spheres of influence and we need to encourage Christians particularly to go into these spheres of influence and see their Presence in these spheres of influence as missional that these are these are mountains to be one to Christ, and um, and that has been called the seven. is now kind of evolved into something called the Seven Mountains Movement. Has anyone heard of this? The Seven Mountains Movement. Anyway, so the Seven Mountains. Oh, well, what they what they actually we'll throw it open. What they what they both said. So one had six, the other had seven. But it's amazing that they both had pretty much the same word, not exact. But what they said is, in the emerging postmodern paradigm. So we're thinking the you know late seventies, but you know, fifty years ago, um, what what they thought there was there were six or seven spheres of influence that Christians particularly should be in. Now, if you're not in one of these spheres, that's not to say it's not of value. Of course, it's not saying that at all. Um, actually, funny enough, my wife's a doctor, and that's not one of them. I'm oh, sorry, that's a bit, bit of a spoiler alert. There. So is medicine not important? Of course not. We need need doctors. Of course we do. It's not saying that. But what it's saying that these spheres of influence, um, as well as serving humanity, these spheres have a capacity to shape culture. So they don't just serve culture like being a doctor, which is amazing. They shape culture so that they're going to change the emerging culture. And, you know, 50 years on, they were absolutely right. Because these, as I read them to you in a minute, these spheres... And by and large, Christians have abdicated the space. By and large, Christians haven't gone into these spheres of influence, some of them, some of them. And, and actually, as such, uh, because secular people or non-Christians ha- have occupied these six or seven mountains, what we've seen in the Western world is an increase in godlessness and a, a rapid moving away from our Judeo-Christian moorings, i.e. the biblical moorings. So um, what, do you th- what do you think the seven are here in front of me? What, what do you think they are? These are the things that really... Shape, culture, sorry. Education, education absolutely, that's one. So education, that's teaching, that's university, uh, school, of course, primary school, secondary school, absolutely. Um, sorry, OK, government, OK, yeah, number two, government or politics. Abs- absolutely right, government or politics. The, the legislature, you know, in terms of our politicians and how often have Christians been guilty of, 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 of being so negative about politics uh, so I stood for, 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 for um, I stood in the general election. I know this is a bit crazy, but in the two thousand and fifteen general election, I stood as the parliamentary candidate for a, a constituency. This is in the big general election, and the reason I did this is when I was a young guy, I read politics at university, and I often thought if I don't, I, I, the first thing I wanted to be was an, uh, was a member of parliament, and then God called me to be a vicar. And for two hundred years, there was a thing called the qualification. The, sorry, the disqualification of Clergy Act. So between the years of um, 1800 to the year 2000, Anglican vicars were forbidden to be MPs. Then in 2000, they repealed it. It was called the Disqualification of Clergy Act Removal. So it got removed. So I suddenly thought, well, I could do both. You know, I'm, not, I'm now not banned. And so I did. When I was a vicar in York, I stood. Did you know this? I stood as a politician. And boy, did I get stick. Boy, did I, from, you know, boy, did I get flack from Christians. Uh, you know, people... T- Sorry, oh yeah, 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 oh yeah, Christians are the worst. Yeah, 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 oh, I as an evangelist, the criticism I get is from brothers and sisters, not from non-Christians generally like me. It's, uh, it's non-Christians that I get, criti- sorry, it's Christians I get criticism for. Anyway, somebody said to me, Christians and politics, you know, don't mix. Uh, I always remember, you know, the quote by Desmond Tutu, the late Desmond Tutu, he said, you know, these Christians who say Christians and politics don't mix, I wonder which Bible they're reading, you know. Uh, um, that's what they said to me. Uh, they also said to me as a uh, as a Christian, I had, you know, I shouldn't be in the filthy world, world of politics, which, again, if we're not in this so-called filthy world, of po- what we're doing is we're abdicating the space for, the, for those who are godless to take over a mount of an influence which is going to influence our children. Um, so I, I, I so they, they told me that uh, uh, I, I basically got a, yeah, I basically got a lot a lot of flack and uh, and criticism for doing that. But anyway, politics. So so uh Christians need to be involved in politics. Okay, that's two two of the seven. Any others? Business. Business. Yeah, no, absolutely right. Business. I mean, who could doubt business? Big bit, you know, these days, you know, there's oh gosh, big farm, you know, we we know there's a lot of suspicion and and there are conspiracy theories that I think we need to be wary of. But the fact is, who who can doubt that the big businesses uh, really call the shots. They often call the shots with the politicians. The politicians are often pawns to the, to the big capitalist enterprises um, that actually, that, 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 that call the shots. America, don't want to get, get uh, uh, too much into this, but w- from a British point of view, we can't understand why America doesn't do gun control, as you know. We go, they have, I was out there uh, just a few weeks ago, there was a shooting when I was out, they happen all the time, these shootings. And um, and one of the reasons is is the NRA, the National Rifle Association, is a massive lobby that is wields billions of dollars, and and any president who tries to curb gun control, uh, really has their work cut out. So so who could doubt business? Absolutely, business. Any uh, that's uh, is that, how is that that's number three is it? Media. Uh, media. Oh oh, absolutely. Media. Totally right. So we live now in an age of twenty four seven media. It's breaking news, isn't it? You know, um, you know, years ago. You know the lisbon earthquake happened in 17 something or other it took a it took days for news to get to england this was a major disaster you know but but how many of us actually saw the second plane hit the second of the twin towers in real time Did it, how, how many actually saw it didn't you see it because yeah. remember the first one went in the cameras were there no one saw the first one going off obviously but as soon as the first one went in all the cameras were there and i was in a pub in Watford, England, never forget it. Watching the TV and in live, in real time, saw the second airplane uh, hit hit the, hit the tower. It's absolutely so, so. We live in an age of media uh, saturation. Okay, another one. Any more? Entertainment. Oh yeah, absolutely. Entertainment. Some sociologists have said that celebrities are the new aristocracy. So, by that, you know, two hundred years ago place like this it was lord and lady fontalroy who you know they they were the lord of the manor and they maybe the patron to the vicar you know that they, they appointed the local vicar they had huge power uh, now we we you know are, are, are aristocratic people you know struggling to keep their stately homes going or giving them to national trust but the areas you know people like david beckham and these guys you know the footballers that and some of the some of it is vacuous celebrity i don't don't, need, don't don't to be don't want to be cruel but the. You know, there's a distinct lack of giftedness from some of these people. I mean, you know, like, look at the whole um, reality TV thing. People are famous for complete nonsense, aren't they? So celebrity, absolutely. We live in a celebrity-obsessed culture. Uh, tot- tot- totally right. OK, there's two more. culture. Uh, yeah, so... Um, uh, so we've got business, government... Um, uh, uh, education, uh, uh, we've, yeah, we've got that. No, the other, the other, the other two that they've list, listed here, um, uh, I, I guess some people include art and culture under, me, under media, I think. But the other, the other two, uh, one is religion, and it's religion and not Christianity. The reason it's religion is because who can doubt that religion still wields massive influence? The history of our world is impossible to understand without understanding religion. Um, even the, the war in Ukraine, um, some, of, uh, some, some of Putin's speeches, uh, he believes that Ukraine used to be a part of uh, greater Russia um, because um, there was a Saint Vladimir, I think it was, who, who was a king of Russia, who was converted. Um, he was an, he's an Orthodox saint in the Eastern Orthodox Church and he got baptised in Kiev in Ukraine. And so he's, he's tying in some kind of theological justification and the patriarch of all Moscow, Kirill, who is, in my opinion, a charlatan, the guy really is, 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 is completely pseudo, uh, ex-member of the KGB, is totally give, giving um, backing to, to Putin's war. But Kirill, he's the patriarch of Moscow. He's like the Archbishop of Canterbury, of Russia. Uh, he even said last week that Russian men, Russian men who died fighting for the Ukrainian war would have their sins forgiven. And go straight to heaven. I mean, so I mean, he's giving them indulgences, you know, just for diet. For, 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 for diet, I mean, the guy's a, the guy's are charlatan. So religion is is massively influential. Who can doubt it? And the other one, of course, is family. So 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 family, the family unit, and we know that's absolutely key. You know, the, the old Jesuit saying in you know, the Society of Jesus, they said, "Give me a child until he is ten, and I'll show you the man." Uh, uh, and and the, the Bible it says in Ecclesiastes, doesn't it? Bring up a child in the way he or she should grow, and when they grow old. They will not depart from it. So actually, this is, this is, why, um, this is, this is why it's deeply worrying, the secularisation of the education system. Um, and, and understandably, many Christians are now taking their children out of secular education because it's, because it's so secular. And we've done that. So our kids go to a Christian school, the King's School um, in Whitney. And so we, we've, 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 we've done that. I never used to support that, to be honest. I mean, I never criticise any Christian who did that. But I used to say, no, I want my children to be socialised with non-Christians, but actually... I've changed my opinion on that because of the way things are. So we're called to go into the world. So, so the point here is that these seven mountains, Christians, you shouldn't be thinking, oh, I'm not going into that one or that one. We should be supporting brothers and sisters who want to, who feel that their vocation is to live out their faith. And this really is the front line. People often say to people like me and Simon, oh, you're on the front line. But, you know, are we any more on the front line than a Christian who's seeking to live out their faith in the world of politics? You know, they're in the cut and thrust of Westminster when there's a huge temptation to lie and to manipulate and to stay, say what the party line is. Is, it, is being a vicar any more the front line than that? I don't think it is. I don't think it is. So we're called to go into the world. So the point here is that if you work, your work, your place of work is not an alternative to mission. It's your chief sphere of mission. Your place of work is not an alternative to ministry, it's your chief sphere of ministry. So we need to actually recognise that if the world, I believe this, if, 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 if postmodern millennial Britain, America is going to be wanted for Jesus Christ, it's not by having more vicars, it's by having ordinary Christians recognise that they are missionaries <coughs> in the workplace. As David Pitches famously said, the meeting place is the equipping place for the workplace. OK, the second thing is to boldly go. So notice um, one of the things that um, these verses speak about is is going uh, with the gospel. And implicit in Jesus' words is that these Christians, um, they're not to be shrinking violence. They're not to be, oh, you know, I'm going, but I'm, you know, you know, they're actually to go with boldness. And uh, we see that again and again, that the Holy Spirit is equated with boldness with boldness um so there's that famous prayer meeting that's in the acts of the apostles where uh, oh peter peter just gets out of prison and remember they have a prayer meeting and they say um sovereign lord they, they pray to the lord and they call him lord sovereign lord uh they they say to him uh, uh and they say give give your send your power that your servants may speak your word with great boldness and so that's the, the prayer. That the, so the Holy Spirit is equated with boldness. So the implication is that in the flesh, we are timid. In the flesh, we are fearful. In the flesh, we have anxiety, which we do. Of course we do. Uh, and so the Holy Spirit gives us boldness. He, he and he, he is a he, of course, he gives us boldness. So we're called to boldly, to boldly go um, to, uh, to boldly go, perhaps where no one has gone before, which is the apostolic call to be pioneers, um, and we're called to speak up and to speak out. In many ways, uh, the great thing is the Apostle Peter is a, a great example to us, isn't, isn't he, about, about how we can be weak, how we can be frail, how we can, how we can mess it up, and yet God can still use us. And uh, so often the characters in the Bible are like that, aren't they? And the Apostle Peter is. Because have you ever thought about it? Peter is not just, you know, initially at least. Uh, Initially, the Apostle Peter is not only not a very good witness, he's a bad witness. Because do you remember what I said last night? The power of words and where uh, the testimony of two people is powerful. And what we're told is that Jesus is crucified and... um, He's not yet risen, and so the, the the apostles are thinking, what the heck is going on? This isn't supposed to happen, he's dead. And uh, do you remember when Peter's hanging around in the city of Jerusalem? Do you remember people come to him and say, Are you one of his disciples? Do you remember? He said, Oh no, no, I'm not, no, I'm not. He he's faith. So it's a gift. He, he's there's two types of witness. We're going to come to this later. There's there's um um there's there's basically proactive witness, um, and uh and there's reactive witness. So reactive witness is the easiest. Reactive witness is when somebody says to you, you're a Christian, aren't you? And you, you deny it. Reactive witness is where somebody gives you the opportunity on a plate to witness. That's, that's reactive, <clears> reactive witness. And by the way, this happens all the time. And we Christians blow it. sometimes. By, you know, for example, Sunday morning, you all know what you do on Sunday morning. Uh, you know, you're down at the school gate and somebody's, somebody's, you know, maybe a bloke, for example, picking up, and there's another bloke there and you say, oh, what did you do the weekend? what did you do the weekend? And um, what do you do, or even, what did you do on Sunday? And it's your opportunity. So oh, Sunday, I went to church. But you don't, and you say, ah, oh, you know, took the kids to play football in the afternoon. So you've got it on a plate. It's, it's basically, um, it's react, you don't even need to be proactive. It's reactive, but we blow it. Uh, and I'm going to talk about proactive witness, which is even more scary, where we initiate witness. We initiate a witnessing conversation. But the good news is, is that, that the apostle Peter blew even a reactive witness because somebody said, you knew him, didn't you? You knew this Jesus. And he said, no, didn't know him. And of, uh, he said it a second time. And of course, we know the cock crowed three times, which Jesus had prophesied would happen because Peter uh, denies Jesus. So he's, he's a contra witness. He's actually a bad uh, witness. But well, so he's a great hope for all of us because if he, if he can mess up and still be great in the kingdom as he is, then we can mess up and be great in the kingdom as well. We're called to speak up and speak out. So this week uh, I, uh, I had the privilege of um, helping Annie with a little speech. My daughter Annie decides to follow in her father's footsteps and get involved in politics. But this is school politics. And so they have a council. It's called the school council, isn't it? The school council is their governor. You know, it's like a children's parliament um, that they have. And various kids can stand for election. In, the, in this school, this is the school that she goes to. And what they have to do is they have to write a little manifesto, it's not long, saying what they're going to do if they're elected to represent their fellow pupils on this school council with the teachers. So the kids can have, you know, kid power, basically. It's all about kid power these days. And um, so, that, so, so Annie made a little speech. And, uh, and she basically gave it to her peers. And they all had to decide whether to vote for her or not. And I've asked Annie if she'll, it's very short, but I've asked Annie if she'll come and give us um, the, the speech. Uh, here we are, Annie. Take it Take it away.
1: Thank you for giving me the opportunity of allowing me why, to share why I would like to serve you on your school council. I want to be school council because I believe kids should speak up for their right. I'm willing to listen to your opinion and what you have to say. We all have a voice and God made us so that we all use it, no matter our age. It says in the Bible, Timothy 4 verse 12, Do not let anyone look down on you just because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love and in faith. <coughs> I think it is really important for those elected to the school council set an example to the school in the way they speak in conduct, in love and in faith. Whilst acknowledging that this verse from the Bible recognises our God-given rights, We must also realise that with rights comes responsibility, and I am willing to take it on. And it says in Matthew five verse sixteen that we should help others, and that is my main priority. That is why I think you should vote for me. Thank you so much for listening.
0: So uh, anyway, tell us, tell us the end result. I knew what happened. I got it. Uh, Yeah, she got it. So, uh, um, so. You could well be witnessing our fourth female prime minister,
1: um,
0: or maybe by the time she grows up, she'd be the tenth. Maybe she'd be the she be the tenth um, tenth by then. Who knows? So, um, sp- basically, speak you know, speak up and speak out. Um, I admire my daughter's boldness. I think she's a you know potential um, evangelist um, uh, because she was you know she was speaking up and speak out, particularly like, like that bit you know where she goes. Um, with with uh, rights comes responsibilities. That's what would swing me. Yeah, yeah. There we are. The recognition. Absolutely. I wrote that bit. But uh, <laughs> with rights, with rights comes responsibilities. Uh, she said, and she's a great one at quoting the Bible uh, at me and my and her mum. And so, uh, so, so basically, I was. Uh, uh, I quoted. Uh, She was being disobedient a few weeks ago. And I said, look, as you know, Annie, it says, children, obey your parents. Uh, And she said, yes, Dad. And she said, it also says, parents, do not exasperate your children. And she said, you exasperate me. And uh, so it's kind of Bible wars in the Downs household. I was talking to someone about apologetics last night. And apologetics, uh, of course, it's from the Greek word apologia. It means to give a defence, a reason, a reason. Or a defence of the Christian worldview over and against alternative or prevailing worldviews, and um, you know, and, and yet you know, sometimes sometimes people mistakenly think um, that it's about being apologetic, and there are too many Christians who are apologetic in the in the negative sense of the word, in the wrong sense of the word, to say, "I'm so sorry, I'm a Christian. I'm so sorry uh, for my Christian worldview. I'm so sorry for taking up space on planet Earth." You know. So often we're, we're apologetic for being the people of God. Now, of course, we're, we're called to be gracious. Of course, we're called to be kind. Of course, we're called to be loving. We, we shouldn't be belligerent, but we should be bold. We should be bold. We should be fearless. We should be unapologetic about what we believe because we believe, um, don't we, that uh, uh, we're not on the wrong side of history. Somebody told me that um, a while back in a the debate. They said that they said on certain of my archaic Views. I was on the wrong side of history. Well, if we believe the Bible, we can't be, can we? Because what is history if it's not his story, ultimately? If it's not his story that God becomes a human being in the person of Jesus Christ, history is his story. So if we're wedded to him, uh, we cannot be on the wrong side of history. So let's boldly go. Okay, the third thing is let's go with lip and life. To go with lip and life. So when were God's apostolic people? We're not just to go with lip, in other words, with the message. Were to go with life, that is to say, we are to go uh, and in a, in a way that we live um, in such a way that commends the message of Jesus Christ. Woe to us if there's a disconnect between uh, what we say and how we live. Um, people in our society are all too quick to see it the stench of re- religious hypocrisy, and uh, we all know. I'm sure hypocrisy from the Greek word hypocrite, it literally means one who wears a mask. And um, that's, what, that's, what it, that's what it means. So, uh, so, and, and basically it's from uh, hypocrite is the old, old ancient Greek word for actor. So an actor in the old days, actors used to wear masks. And uh, so, uh, so a hypocrite, an actor is one who, who wears a mask. In other words, what you see is not what you get. And that's the essence of religion. What you see is not what you get. It looks good on the outside, but on the inside it's rubbish and that's religion I hate religion the more I go on as a Christian I hate religion it took me years to realise that God is not religious and um, uh, I realise it now Um, but it's you know the the opposite of of religiosity is is true Christianity and true Christianity is authentic it's about being real and that means I rejoice when pastors are real you know rather than pretending there's something they're not which makes the flock feel guilty because they don't Think they're as perfect as the man who's actually wearing a mask, and he's not that perfect as you think he is. That's that's what it is in so many churches. So when pastors from the front say, "Hey, I struggle with this," you know, I'm, you know, I. It's good because we're all in this together. We are. We're all on a journey of becoming more like Jesus Christ, and um, we're we're all called to this moment in time. As I say, for such uh, for such a time as this, so we're called to go with lip and life. Um, I I got into a conversation on my aeroplane coming back from. Um, uh, Sydney, just just Tuesday of this week, and there was a young woman sat next to me in her um, in her twenties, I think she was um, called um, Mandina, and Mandina, um, it was an Indian, or at least her parents parents were Indian. She's of, of Indian ethnicity. This young woman, and uh, so I basically said to her, you know, I said uh, i was trying to build build bridges with. this. She was a Hindu Hindu. This this young woman, well, Hindu by background, nominally Hindu. She wasn't She wasn't a practising Hindu. And, uh, and I said, my favourite Indian. I said, do you know who my favourite Indian is? And she said, no. And I said, Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi, I said. And, uh, and I said, a lot of Christians, when, they, when they're asked to give their favourite Indian, they say Mother Teresa. And, uh, and of course, Mother Teresa, she worked in India. She was adopted by the... But she was from uh, Albania. She was a little Albanian nun. And... Um, Anyway, Gandhi, I, I quoted to this young woman. I said, I said, you know, Gandhi, one of my sadnesses is he, he was captivated by the person of Jesus Christ. I don't know whether you know that. And Gandhi once said to a group of Christians, which is mainly the Anglican church, of course, in India. Um, and, he, and he said, uh, uh, I do not like you Christians, um, but I do like your Christ. And, it's, it's, uh, and, and those words I, I find profoundly sad. You know, I do not like you Christians, but I do like your Christ. He was attracted to the person of Jesus Christ what's not to like but he didn't like these christians that he saw in india what if what if i don't know what if they live differently what i don't know but uh, you know could gandhi have been won over to to jesus christ to put it another way it's not just proclamation that's important it's demonstration we're called to be demonstrators of the good news of jesus christ i shared a story with Mandina which was about Mother Teresa. We got talking about Mother Teresa and she says, what a great woman. She's now Saint Mother Teresa. she has been canonized by the Roman Catholic Church. And I shared with her a story that's one of my favorite stories to do with the life of Mother Teresa. And this is when she got given the Congressional Medal. So the Congressional Medal is an honor given by the United States of America to somebody who uh, is not necessarily a citizen of America, and it's given for outstanding inspirational service. And the President of the United States gave the Congressional Medal to Mother Teresa. The President at the time was Bill Clinton. So this is, you know, back in the day, Bill Clinton was the President of the United States. She went to this white, to the White House. There was an incredible reception. All the great and the good were there. And this little, you know, in, this little Albanian nun, you know, in her tea towels, you know, dressed like in her tea towels with a blue stripe. She was there, you know, um, on, the, on the lectern. Now... The, the rule of the day is that you're incredibly grateful for getting the medal and say, I thank you so much. And you're probably a little bit sycophantic and saying, thank you, Mr. President. And, you know, all the Americans feel good about themselves and everything. I'm nothing. I love Americans. But, do you know, that's the, that's the deal. But anyway, Mother Teresa took the opportunity to lambast the Clinton administration for being pro-abortion. So Bill Clinton. Uh, I know this is amazing, isn't it? So Bill Clinton obviously was pretty, pretty pro-choice, to use the language. And so she is very, she was very pro-life, obviously as we should be, I believe. And um, she lambasted the Clinton administration. And what an embarrassment, you know, this nun wiping the floor with you. So uh, everybody was speechless. They, you know, jaws dropped. They couldn't believe it. Anyway, afterwards, Bill Clinton was being interviewed by some, um, some media outlet. And they wasted no time in asking Mr. The, the, Bill Clinton about this. And they said, well, Mr. Mr. President, Mr. President, what have you got to say about Mother Teresa? You know, she criticizes your administration for your pro-abortion policies. And Bill Clinton paused and he said this. He said it's very difficult to argue with a life so beautifully lived. That's what he said. So this little Albanian nun silenced the most powerful man on the planet. Now, you could say that's clever politics on his part. You could be cynical and say, oh, you know, Bill Clinton, you know, he he knew he couldn't take her on. So he's a clever politician. That's that's true. But that may be true. But the fact is she still silenced him. It's very difficult to live a life. It's been very difficult to argue with a life so beautifully lived. And I said to this Hindu girl on the aeroplane, I said, I said, uh, I'm sorry for when Christians have been less than kind, less than loving. I said, my desire is, and I teach this, is to live a life, um, uh, you know, to, to, that's beautifully lived, a life of God, a life following God, a life of love, a life of kindness. Because it's very difficult to argue with a life so beautifully lived. So we're called to go with lip and life. We're called to go proactively. And I've I've touched upon this already. There's proactive and reactive. So like I say, um, reactive is where somebody gives you the opportunity of a lifetime. But we blow it. By the way, I've done this. I'm an evangelist. But there have been occasions, perhaps not recently, where somebody's given me an opportunity. And I thought, I'm too tired. Or I don't want to go there. And I've ducked it. I've ducked it. And I'm sure, I'm sure, well, I'm guessing you have as well. So so let's not duck those those. those um, Let's not duck those opportunities on a plate where somebody says to you, you know, what did you do on Sunday morning? Or somebody says to you, uh, it mean, may be something like, oh, you know, the life world is a mess, isn't it? I, I just feel the world is going mad. And people say this to me regularly. Oh, you know, it's so confusing. The world's going mad. You know, what hope is there? Well, it's a gift, is it? On a ple- what hope is there? And and if we we just go, you know, we zip it. I mean, what what's that about? When always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is in you to anyone who asks you. Says the Apostle Peter, but do so with gentleness and respect. So our mutual friend J. John, he he famously says, most Christians are like Arctic rivers, frozen at the mouth. That's a that's a so <laughs> Jay Johnism, and it's true, isn't it? Fro- you know, like well, like Mister Zippy. Frozen at the mouth. Now, what I would encourage you today, what I encourage, you to, what I want to encourage you today, is don't just be obviously take take the um, reactive opportunities. I.e., when somebody gives it you on a plate, take it, take the opportunity. But what I want to encourage you today is to, it's not just to, to be reactive. I.e., you know, which is great, but be proactive. So don't even don't even just take the opportunity when it's given to you on a plate. Be proactive, and trust that God will give you the words. Because remember, there's that verse where it says. You know, when you uh, basically have to give an account before men and women, do not worry about what you will say because the Holy Spirit will give you the words. And that's my experience. And my experience, by the way, as well, is he doesn't give you the whole script. He might just give you the first three words. And when you get this, say the first three words, he'll give you the first 10 words. And then when you say the first sentence, he'll give you the second sentence. That's my experience. It, it is. And I think that verse is applicable to evangelism, witness, witnessing, whatever, let's call it witnessing. It's applicable to witnessing. So, so step out in, in faith and at the time, you're going to be terrified, you know, whether it's whether it's reactive and somebody gives you it on a plate or whether it's proactive. Proactive, by the way, was me yesterday when I said when I said, oh, there's something missing. Jesus has risen from the dead. That's me being proactive. Um, and uh, and you'll be te- you'll be terrified. Oh, by the way, just so you know, I'm this crazy evangelist. And I travel all over the place. Yesterday, before I did this, I had some nerves. I you know I thought it's important for me to say this. So, me—I'm a suppose—you know—supposedly this evangelist, but I, the, the thought came into my head: uh, say, say one thing missing here—Jesus risen from the dead—and I thought, you know, I, I thought for a minute. I thought, Ooh. you know, I felt a bit nervous. I felt a bit nervous because I thought, you know, well, what's how's this going to go down? Anyway, I did it anyway, and the rest is history. So, what I sometimes say is get out of the com- get out of the comfort zone and into the kingdom zone. And, and so often that's the case. When you get out of the comfort zone, you're in the comfort zone and you think, ah, dare I, dare I, can I, should I? Ooh, ooh, ooh. But when you get out of the comfort zone, you get into the kingdom zone. It's really true. God shows up and often he doesn't show up until we step across the chicken line, so to speak. You know, in terms of we're here in nervousness and we think, oh no, I'm going to bottle it. And that's fine. By the way, if we bottle it, There'll be another opportunity. God forgives you. God loves you. You're not going to lose your salvation or anything like that. You're not going to even lose your membership of the connection or anything else. You know, it's not about that. It's about, you know, we, do, we don't have to evangelise. We get to evangelise. That's the point. We don't have to do it. We get to do it. We get to be partakers with Jesus Christ in the Great Commission. But my experience is when we, when we actually step over the chicken line, if you like, we step out of the edge of this carpet, out of the comfort zone and into the kingdom zone, and then God shows up. Now, God shows up in different ways, but one of the ways is that he gives you the words, and that's my experience, that he gives you the words. So let me, show, let me suggest to you one or two ways that you uh, might want to be proactive. This is, so you might think, well, okay, reactive is obvious. Reactive is next time somebody says to you, what did you do at the weekend? And instead of say, saying, or had the grandchildren around, what you say is, um, I, you know, we had a church weekend, and we had this crazy vicar from the Church of England, and he's not like normal vicars, this crazy vicar. He's, just, he's barking mad. And, um, but he, but, but basically, anyway whatever, you whatever. And you could say, um, and we all pray together. And I sensed the, I, I felt God touch me when we prayed or um, we heard stories, amazing stories of God breaking. I don't know, whatever. It doesn't, in a way, it doesn't matter what you say. Just do it. You know, the gospel of Adidas, just do it. Just, uh, you know, don't, don't overthink it. It's highly unlikely you're going to mess up. This is Christians often think, oh I better not say anything. It's highly unlikely you're going to mess up. And even if you mess up, my experience is God takes my mess and he turns it into a message. It's true, really true. You know, I can, blah, blah, you know, come out with stuff. He can take your mess and he can turn it into a message. So how do, how, are you pro, how can you be proactive then? So reactive is obvious. But how about for those of us who, who, who want to be proactive? Okay, one of the things is initiate with a link. Now, I've already given you an example of a, a link is a bridge. A link is a bridge between what somebody says, um, which which kind of may or may not be connected to the gospel. Um, and actually there's the gospel here. So what you need is a bridge from the world into the word, if you like, uh, from culture into the gospel. I've already given you an example of one, reading this book and saying you know, 360 is in the charity shop because so it's, in, it's, it's in their world. This, this book was in their charity shop. So it's, so it's there, so they're, they're, they're happy. they they feel connection with this book. One of the ladies said, oh, I, um, I nearly bought this. And so I open it and I said, there's something missing. You know, what's missing? You know, reason, one of the reasons to look on the bright side is Jesus is risen from the dead. Another link I gave you yesterday, which was in the bookstore in Los Angeles International Airport, where, do you remember, there was books. Um, who was uh, Abraham Lincoln? Who was Jesus Christ? Who is Barack Obama? I said, no, you've got it wrong. It's It should be who is Jesus Christ. He's, he's alive." So it's, it's, it's basically um, finding a link. Another link that I've been using recently, um, and, and that is the, qu- the Queen. Absolutely. So I, so I was in America when the Queen... Went to glory. I was in a coffee shop in a a church in California, and somebody came up to me and they just said, "Hey, have you heard the Queen's dead?" That was how I got. That's how they broke the news. Hey, have you heard the Queen's dead? Anyway, I didn't cry then because I was in the middle of a pastoral meeting, but I always knew that I would. Uh, And so when I got on my uh, my little flight, my little flight took off uh, from this town in California to to my connecting flight in San Francisco. And I was on my I a little. I did, it was one of these little planes, and I had a, it, was, it was two or three seats. I had a seat on my own anyway, and I looked out the window, and as I saw the Californian mountains, tears came down my cheeks. As uh, I thanked the Lord for Her Majesty the Queen, but anyway, that was how the news was broken to me. Hey, have you heard? The Queen's dead. I'm like, oh, okay. And um, so when I got on my aircraft in, in um, Los Angeles, the bit that was going from uh, sorry, so San Francisco back to uh, back to London Heathrow. Um, I, I got on the aerop- the aeroplane and um, the, the people on the seats behind me were Americans and they heard my accent and they said to me, oh, we are so sorry to hear about the Queen. And this, is, this happened all the time. The Americans were giving me condolences as if it was my own mother. And, and in a way it was, in a way it was. You know, she was the mother to the nation, wasn't she? So uh, anyway, so they said, so, so people, and people said it to me at the airport when I was checking in, we're so sorry to hear about the Queen. And, uh, you know, and this is, they said that at the airport, they said that on the, on the airplane. People kept saying to me, these Ameri- very nice Americans. So I, did, I said, "Well, thank you very much." I said, it's, "It's very sad. You know, it's difficult to imagine life without the Queen. She's been there my whole life." Uh, and, I, and I said, "And uh, the thing that was so inspirational is she had a personal faith in Jesus Christ." And, they go, uh, and I said, "The Queen knew I'm going to miss her Christmas Day broadcast where she talked about I'm a Christian." I said, and you know, she, and I said, for her, the faith wasn't just perfunctory. You know, she was the Supreme Governor of the Church of England, but it was real, she, Junior. She said, it's a link. It's, it's, so the Queen died and she, you know, we're, we're terribly sad about that, but we know that we're, she's gone to heaven. But there's a link. So find, so, so look for a link in the chain. That's number one. Number two, as I've already said to you, what you do. So, so, so basically there's a gift in what you do, how you spend your time. So when somebody says to you, I've already said this, what did you do at the weekend? Don't say I played golf. Uh, You might say you play golf. That's great. But also don't be afraid to say I went to church. If you did go to church, Um, you know, in other words, just be normal about your day to day activities. Where some Christians, they eradicate the fact that what they do or anything spiritual that they do in their life, they eradicate it. It's crazy. Okay, the third thing is be content to sow seeds. So I used to think when I was a young Christian that when I shared the gospel, I had to share the whole of the gospel, the whole lot when I was a young guy. You don't have to share the whole lot. You just just sprinkle a few seeds. You know, just it doesn't matter. Just throw few. You know, just be like this, the parable of the sower. I remember when I was a young guy, I uh, went to the barbers. This is in Lancaster. I grew up in Lancaster in the northwest of England. This was when I thought I had to share the whole gospel. I was only a teenager. I didn't even know I was an evangelist then. But um, anyway, and I used to think barbers, great captive audience, you know, because you're paying them. I'm paying them to cut my hair. And, um, and true, barbers are really good. I, I think I've led seven barbers to Christ over the years. It's about seven people I've led to Christ who've been cutting my hair. Um, and um, anyway, this was one I didn't lead to Christ um, in Lancaster. And what happened is he was there cutting my hair and I told him the gospel and I started with, with uh, sin and the fall of man. Uh, I went through about the prophetic age. I talked about the incarnation and uh, the church age. I, I basically gave him a whole systematic theology. Then I shared the gospel with him, justification by grace, uh, through faith. Two ways to live. Uh, then how we're going to face the eternal judgment. And then it's, it's basically heaven if you, if you choose Christ or hell if you don't choose Christ. Now, I went through the whole gospel from um, you know, creation, fall, redemp- redemption, heaven and hell. And when I looked in the mirror, you know, you're, you're there. I looked in the mirror... And somebody was blushing, somebody was red, red in the face. And it wasn't him, it was me. It wasn't him, he was looking bored. He was probably thinking, who is this religion? Just not, who, who is this you know, religion? He wasn't, he probably, who is this you know, Bible basher? I was red in, now why was I red in the face? The reason why, I was violating my own humanity. Yeah, because I, what I was doing, I was doing a form of evangelism that was mechanistic Treating him like a project, thinking that if I can get the whole gospel out, I've discharged my duty. And actually, if he chooses not to respond to the gospel and go to hell, well, that's his fault. You know, that, that kind of thing. And this is, this is often um, a tradition within the evangelical world. Uh, so actually, be content to sow seeds. Sow seeds, you don't have to say the whole thing. Um, w- w- when Christians blurt it out, feel they've got to blurt it out, I sometimes refer to it as projectile vomit evangelism. You know, you, you feel like, yeah! you kind of, the, the effect is a bit like projectile vomit. And uh, I experienced that once. I was on a Royal School of Church Music choristers course, and I was, it was at Pocklington School, and I, it was 1979, so I was 10 years of age. And I remember I came down for breakfast as a little choir boy, put my tray there, and there was a little chubby boy opposite, a little chubby choir boy, and he just went, yeah! And there was projectile vomit, and I was dripping in sick. It wasn't a very, it was, that really happened. And um, it's enough to put you off being a choir boy, isn't it? Uh, you know, projectile, being the recipient of projectile vomit wasn't a pleasant experience. And being the recipient of projectile missiological vomit or evangelistic vomit, that's not pleasant either. So I suggest we don't do it. I suggest we, we be content to sow seeds. Don't be mechanistic, be relational. So uh, um, you probably see that uh, Brother Andrew has just gone to be with the Lord. Brother Andrew, did anyone see yeah. this? So just this week, um, Brother Andrew, nobody knows his real name. Um, I, I did, I did, I put it on my Facebook. Is that his name? Yeah. Yes. What was his name? Okay, but is that his Dutch name? That, oh. Was it? No. Oh. Bill, yeah, Bill. <laughs> but anyway, whatever his name What Brother Andrew to his friends. Uh, basically, one of the things it said in, in the, the obituaries that I've read this week is that Brother Andrew was not comfortable with mechanistic forms of evangelism. You know, not you, you do this, do this. And he said he learned from early on to be spirit led. This, this is what the obituaries say, that his evangelism was spirit led, not program driven. It wasn't like do this, do this, do this. Um, and, and I think the danger with some evangelistic formularies like two ways to live or four spiritual laws. I, I thank God for them. that God uses these things. Of course, he does. But the danger is that they're mechanistic. They're, they treat people like a project you know, rather than a person made in the image of God, uniquely loved by God. And so the antidote to pro- programmatic evangelism is spirit-led evangelism. Okay, the other thing is, uh, another idea is uh, pray for people. Sometimes we think, oh, we can only pray for Christians. Absolutely not. We can pray for non-Christians. And so sometimes, uh, in fact, it happened yesterday in the shop. One of the, one of the ladies, who, she'd just become a Christian actually. She said, oh, my son is in a bad way. Uh, there's this, this, and this, and this. And I said, let's pray for him now. And we just, the three of us just prayed. They'd just given their lives to Jesus. We just prayed for him. People are so touched, uh, you know, when you pray very often. I, hardly ever are people offended by that. In fact, we, are, we, don't, we offer it. We don't say, right, we're going to pray. I said, would you like me? Would you like me to pray? Virtually never, people, people say, occasionally they do. Of course they do. Occasionally they say, well, Tell you what, they sometimes say, they sometimes say, Would you do that in your, you know, privately? You you know, when you, you know, because they're a bit embarrassed, would you? And absolutely, I'll do it, I'll do it when I leave you. Occasionally, you get that. But most times, people say, Yeah, fine. And I say, What now in the shop? And they go, Yeah, yeah, fine, fine. So, uh, pray for people, pray for the sick as well. That's another thing. Somebody somebody has some ailment, and you can actually pray for healing for them. Um, Most of the time, when I do that, do they get healed? No. Have I seen healing? Yes. But, you know, even when they don't get healed, People feel the encounter is positive because they feel that that you care about them. They feel loved. Sometimes they feel the touch of the Holy Spirit. They're not even a Christian, but they say, I felt something. But they feel the touch of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, by the way, can touch you if you're not a Christian, but he only lives within you if you are a Christian. So he can only inhabit you if you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. But God is sovereign and he can touch anyone he likes. Jesus said that to his disciples in John's gospel, didn't he? He said, the spirit who is with you shall be in you. The spirit was with the disciples. He came in the disciples after the day of Pentecost. So let's not be afraid of the Holy Spirit touching non-believers. He does touch non-believers and often it brings people to faith in Jesus Christ. Demonstration, I've already touched upon that. In other words, demonstrating the gospel that's through acts of kindness. Let me share one yesterday and I'm reticent to share this slightly because in case I get accused of parading good works and I don't mean it that honestly is not my motivation it's really just an example of demonstration and after I'd led the it was it was in Whitney I'd led these two women to Christ I was walking back to meet my daughter at school to collect her to come down here and there was a man selling big issue that I'd recognized his name is George Um, and I've talked to George before George uh, lives in some kind of little little hostel with his wife and his kids Uh, he's from Romania uh, and um he's not quite homeless but he's he's basically lives in a, a a kind of shelter and george is a christian he told me he goes to a pentecostal church george is, a, is is a pentecostal christian and um and so i said hey we've met before do you remember me he says yeah 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 and I said, he said, you know, can you give me, you know, give me some money? So the big issue is three pounds. So I, I go in my pocket and all I've got is one pound 20 in my pocket. So I say, have the one pound 20, keep the magazine. I don't want the magazine, sell it to somebody else. Have the one pound 20. Can I just pray for you, George? And he said, yes, pastor. So I said a prayer for him. As soon as I pray, I feel the Lord say, give him the contents of your phone. Uh, that's what I sent the Lord say. Now, the content, I, I know vaguely that there was some money in there, but I didn't know how, how much it'd been there before I went to Australia. So anyway, I, picked, I said to him, George, I think the Lord has just, I stopped my prayer and I said, George, I think the Lord has just said, give, me, give you the contents of my phone. So I op- open up my phone like this and there's, there's 40 pound there, two 20 pound notes. So I give him the 40 pounds and he starts crying. And he just said, this is, you know, he's overcome because he, he's trying to sell these magazines for three pound each. And, um, and I said, well, I think this is a gift. From the Lord for you. So I prayed for him. He got filled with the spirit. It looked as if he was going to fall over with the power of God. But he sort of stopped himself. But he was obviously clearly encountering the Holy Spirit in the street there. Um, demonstration. Let's demonstrate the kingdom. And the, the final one is be kind. So we're not, we're not just called to um, speak good, good news. We're called to be good news. Be kind. One of my favourite verses is it's the kindness of God. That leads men and women to repentance. I have no time for unkind Christians, and I, I'm, I'm not saying I've not been kind. Of course, I am sometimes unkind. Um, but, but you know, Christians who are kind of doctrinaire and rude and judgmental, you know, what of Billy Graham's sayings is that you know my my job is to love. His job is to judge, and my job is to love. And I, I like that. I like that saying. His job, he's the judge. I'm not soft on sin. I'm really not. I really, I'm passionately orthodox. Uh, I believe the scriptures, I believe in the infallibility of the Bible, even um, uh, b- but but we 're called to be kind it 's the kindness of God that leads women and men to repentance and the fifth one coming into land um, simply is this: go with your story so uh, let 's just to recap we 've got go to go into the world it 's the seven mountains, boldly go i e pray for boldness. Um, and um, then go with lip and life. So in other words, it's not just what you say. It's uh, the demonstration of the kingdom. Go proactively. Don't just take opportunities when they're giving you, which is reactive, but be proactive. Um, and finally, go with your story. So I believe that your testimony is your superpower. Everybody has a different story. I used to think my story was rubbish. I used to think, oh, you know, I became a Christian when I was 11 and I gave my life to Christ on a camp. You know, what, you know what's, what's, what's cool about that? You know, it it wasn't dramatic. You know, you hear these amazing stories like um, a guy in our associates group is a prison evangelist, isn't he, Barry? And Barry um, is his book on the stall, Once an Addict, it's called. And Barry uh, was a drug addict and he was a drug drug dealer, wasn't he, in Manchester? And he got radically converted. And he's got one of these amazing stories of being an ex-con who gives his life to Jesus Christ. And that's fantastic. But as, as much as that's useful to some people, it, that will actually be disempowering to others. So, in, in, the, in the prison world where he goes, that's amazing. Imagine this, he goes around prisons. Incredible, incredible. But actually, some people, like middle class people from HTB or whatever, so I'm not picking on the HD, HD, you know, Holy Trinity Brompton. I've, I don't know whether you've ever been to that church. It's the only church, um, Holy Trinity Brompton. When you go up for uh, when you go up for communion, it's so the communion rail. They show you the bottle. <laughs> anyway, so. Uh, Sorry, Nicky Gumbel, if you're listening. I know Nicky Gumble a little bit. I repent, I repent, I repent. Um, but basically, you know, that kind of story in, in HTB world, it's not really going to connect because, you know... So basically, your story is your superpower. It doesn't matter whether your story is undramatic, seemingly like mine. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter whether your testimony is, I grew up with Christian parents and, you know... I've never known a time when I didn't know Jesus. I grew up repenting. I grew up believing. That's the stuff of conversion, repentance and faith. So if you, you know, I grew up repenting and believing and there's never known a time when I didn't know Jesus. That's an amazing story. How wonderful is that? That you never knew a time when you didn't know Jesus because your parents caused you to grow up in, in the fear and the knowledge of the Lord. Um, and when we share our testimony, what we're doing is we're inviting God to do it again. That's what we're doing. We're inviting God uh, to to do it again. Um, there's, a, there's a verse, it's a bizarre verse in the book of Revelation where it says that um, uh, the, the, power, the, 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 the spirit of prophecy is the power of testimony. I think that's it. Um, and it's bizarre. You think, well, what is that? There's, the spirit of prophecy is the power of testimony. Well, basically what it means is when we tell our story of, of, of God's activity in our midst, what we're doing is we're establishing the power of precedent and we're inviting God to do it again. In other words, he did it once, he can do it again. Uh, So I I remember when I was preaching at St. Michael the Belfry and I shared a story um, of of how I led a woman to Christ in Brighton, of all places, Brighton. I led this woman to Christ. And she later told me that um, before she became a Christian, she would struggled with amnesia for years. For years, she'd not been able to have more than three or four hours sleep. And um, we didn't pray. When I, gave, when, we, when, she, when I prayed for her to receive Jesus, we didn't say, oh Lord, heal her amnesia. Um, uh, not amnesia, insomnia. I've got the wrong word. Sorry, sorry. Sorry, did you anyone spot that? Yeah. Yeah. You're very polite. You're very polite. Some people some people will be going, got nothing wrong. It's always, amnesia is where you forget things, isn't it? Insomnia is where you can't sleep. Sorry. Insomnia. Anyway, this woman... Name was Faith. She struggled for it with insomnia. Anyway, I didn't, she didn't say to me, Greg, can you pray for my insomnia? She just gave her life to Jesus. But I didn't know. But she'd, not, she'd struggled with insomnia for years. She'd not been able to sleep more than three or four hours. I saw her afterwards and she said, do you know, she said, that night, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And that night, she said, I slept all the way through. And she said, the night after, all the way through. God healed, God healed her of her insomnia. So I shared that story from the pulpit of St. Michael of Belfry. So that happened in Brighton. I was in the pulpit of St. Michael the Belfry, York, shared that story, didn't think any more of it. I, I, I didn't say, let's now pray for anybody else who has insomnia, I didn't do anything. What I did do is, is uh, I, did, I did a kind of uh, an altar call for anyone who wanted to become a Christian. Uh, anyway, uh, about a month later, it was four weeks later, a young lady uh, came to see me at the end of my sermon. And her, the, the young lady's name was Anastasia. I remember she's from Russia. The name Anastasia is common in Russia. The reason I remember it, obviously, is my little one is called Anastasia. So this woman, about a month later, she, she said, "Oh, uh, she's, uh, you don't know me. She said, my name's Anastasia from Russia. She said, uh, a month ago, I came to, I, I came to church. I'm from the Orthodox, I was from the Orthodox Church. And she said, but I didn't realise, but I didn't really know Jesus. Because, you know, some people are Orthodox or Catholic or Anglican, potentially, or any, anything, without being a true Christian. She said, but I gave my life to Jesus. Four weeks ago, I gave my life to Jesus Jesus And my, my faith has come alive in a new way. I became a Christian. So that's wonderful, Anastasia. And then she said this. And one of the things that happened is, is uh, I, I, I struggled with insomnia. And she said, and the reason I struggled with insomnia, I volunteered um, as a student at York University to be, to be part of a, of a kind of sleep experiment where I, they paid me because I had no money as a student. So I went into York University and they all strapped me up in stuff and t- to examine my sleep. And you know, it disrupted my sleep. And from then, I actually got some money for this. But actually, I struggled with insomnia and I wasn't able to sleep. And when you shared that story, I knew I was healed. When you, as you spoke, I knew I was healed. And that night, I went to bed and I slept all the way through. And the night, all the way through. And, all the, and now it's four weeks later, and the insomnia was healed. Now, isn't that amazing? Nobody prayed. I simply told the story. But you see, as it says in Revelation, the, the power of testimony is the spirit of prophecy. When I was sharing the good deeds of God, it was almost like saying to the heavenlies, do it again, Lord. Do it again. You can do it again, Lord. And so actually, I would say testimony is your superpower. Whether it's an amazing testimony or you, you think it's amazing or not, it doesn't really matter. Uh, your story your story, is your superpower. So five things then uh, to go with the gospel. Go into the world. Your place of work is not an alternative to mission, but your chief spirit mission. Boldly go with confidence, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Go with lip and life, not just what you say, but how you live. Go proactively. And I give I've given various tips from how you for how you can be proactive and go armed with your story because your testimony really is your superpower.